Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it receive their confession from their Father in heaven. Now at this time I'd like to invite Pastor Dave Balicki forward for, for his message, The Builder. Well, good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Delighted. Thank you for inviting me and inviting my wife to come too. And one of the things I've been thinking about regarding this delivery is how to do it. One of the things I was talking uh, with Joni before our service was, you know, when we're thinking uh, about making decisions, you have you have some big decisions that that are before you. The, the, the decision to stay with the NA Triple C, the decision, well, maybe we should leave. And then there's the other decision: Should we go with the with the four C's, the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference, or what do we do? So, in, in all of these big decisions, I, I don't know about you, but you know, I think it's best if if you know you have the time uh, to make a decision like this. You want to be knowledgeable. You want to be informed. And, and obviously prayer and all of that goes into it. And so that, that first idea of being knowledgeable, that's what I'm, I'm really trying to achieve here. Now, of course, one of the, one of the hallmarks of, of uh, any conference such as the four C's, and I, I haven't really explored the, the triple C, 
But I, the four C's has a statement of faith. And I would presume that this church has a statement of faith as well. And so when, you know, whenever you're considering, for instance, going to a church or joining up with a church or, you know, joining a conference, I think one of the big things is to consider the statement of faith and to read it and then to ask some, some questions of yourself. Do I, do I agree with this? Is this what I believe? Am I in line with this sort of, uh, these statements that are being made? And so the, the 4 C statement of faith is, uh, is very, in a word, evangelical. It puts the gospel right at the forefront in terms of we need to share the gospel. That's, that's our part of Christianity, if you will, is to share with those who don't know Christ what Christ has done and the need for Christ. And so on, on our statement of faith, and I've got lots of papers here, I wanna, what I want to do is before I jump into my sermon, I, I, I want to read the statement of faith to you, just so you're aware of it, because this is one, one piece of it. And there are certainly other statements that are made by the four C's and other things to consider. But I think First and foremost, let's, let's see what the 4C stands on. So their statement of faith uh, has seven items. Number one, we believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testament, to be the only inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired God-breathed word. It's inerrant, meaning God, who is perfect in every way, has delivered perfectly his word on the paper. And it's infallible. That That is, you know, if, if we follow what the Bible says in our lives, everything's going to be, we're, we're, we're going to get to heaven, in, in a word. We're, it's not going to fail us. We're, we're not going to be led into sin. We're not going to be led astray if we stick with the Bible. And it's authoritative. I mean, what, what higher authority, I think I just heard it in the service, what higher authority is there than God Almighty? None. Item two, we believe that there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. And I, and I was sitting here thinking, I, I, I think everybody has heard that, I think everybody is, is, is understanding what, what that is, the Trinity, that we have three persons in in one God, they're co-equal. Number three, we believe in the deity of Christ. That means he's God in the flesh. We believe in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, his miracles, his vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It almost sounds like the Apostles' Creed there, doesn't it? And we believe in his personal return in power and glory. We know the Lord Jesus is coming back. He said that in his word. He promised that to us. Now here's item four. And I, I've highlighted item four on my page because... I, you know, obviously, I, I have, have really met any of you uh, just for just a minute or two, so I don't, I don't know your, I don't know what your uh, background is in terms of Bible knowledge. 
uh, an understanding uh, in, in terms of, of the basic doctrines. Uh, and so what I have found is, is that in item four here is, is that I get a lot of questions whenever I read the statement of faith and I read number four, people say, well, well what is that? And, and so I've, I've actually designed my sermon, uh, my brief sermon on, on that to, to illuminate your minds uh, on number four. Let me read number four. We believe that for salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. And quite often when I read that, like I said, when I, especially that word regeneration, I get a lot of questions. What, what is that, Pastor? What does that mean? And so I'm hoping that my sermon will help you in, in that regard. If, if you are uh, a little bit fuzzy on that. Because again, this whole idea is, let's be knowledgeable about what the four C's believes, and then do I believe that as well? Number five, we believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling power and fullness the Christian is enabled to live a godly life in this present evil world. Well, we know that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he is the one that enables us and empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God, uh, to be able to do the will of God. And without him, we, we can't do this. We, we are weak. We need his strength. We need his power. We need his wisdom. We need his insight. We need him. Number six, we believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost, that they are saved unto the resurrection of life, and they are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. Number seven, we believe in the spiritual unity of all believers in Christ. We're all connected together, aren't we? We're all the body of Christ, or as I'm going to be preaching on, we're all part of this building project that, that Jesus Christ is, is going about doing. So those are the seven items in the, in the statement of faith. And so my thought was, I think uh, all seven of them are pretty straightforward, but I wanted to cover number four, the idea of regeneration and how that fits into the Bible. Now we've read a passage out of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and both of these passages speak about really the same thing. They contain that, that same word, build, building. And the whole idea there is that this is a verb, not a building, but Jesus is building something. I know a lot of men can probably relate to that. Uh, maybe some women too. You know, when you create something, maybe you can think along those lines, you know. Uh, whether it's a, a tasty apple pie or a nice quilt. <laughs> Or a storage shed. You know, we have this little bit of a spark inside of us to, to build. And you see, the Lord Jesus Christ is building something. But what is he building? 
Well, the words that we find in Psalm 127 is that the Lord is building a house. And in Matthew chapter 16, the New Testament reading there in the gospel, we find that the Lord is building a church. And I think we can connect these two words together, both house and church. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus entered the temple court and saw the money changers and all their tables set up, if you remember that, that he was angered at that, and he turned them upside down and drove them out of there. And what did he say? My house will be a house of prayer. While the word house may be used in a broader sense, it has been used to describe the gathering place where people, God's people come together for prayer and worship. We are in God's house. Typically hear that quite a lot. You know, we're, we're in church. We're going to God's house together. So when we put the concept of building, we put it in front of the words house and church. We might ask ourselves some questions. Building a house? Is that, is that what Jesus is up to? Is he building a house? Is, is he building a church? Uh, is, is he out there somewhere uh, cutting wood and nailing it together? Uh, will it be a two-bedroom house or, or maybe a four-bedroom house might be? Uh, or, or, is, or is he going to build a big church? Or is he going to build a little church? When we hear someone is building a house or a church, our minds imagine probably the same thing. We imagine a, a building. We imagine a structure, a place where we can go and enter in. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. He's not into building a structure of stone or wood. Rather, He's into building people. I mean, you've, you've heard it uh, before that, that the church really is not the building, is it? It's the people in the building. But quite often we, we use the, the common expression, we're going to, we're going to church on Sunday. Well, it's, it's time to go to church, and we have this idea that we're going into this place here that is the church. But it's, the Lord doesn't have that in mind. All the people he has in mind. But is he thinking about any people? Is he thinking about all people? No. He's thinking about the people who have been visited by the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll, you'll notice back in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was saying, well, well who do people say that I am? You know, they, they, in a sense, he's saying, okay, people, have, they've looked at me, they, they've seen me, they've, they've heard me, uh, they maybe even have seen me do some miracles. So who are they saying I am? And of course there was various answers. And, and they were all wrong answers. Why? why? Because there, there, was, there was 
a natural sight that was used when looking at Jesus. Their spiritual eyes were not open to see who the real Jesus is. And that is, that is absolutely, as the four C's would say, absolutely essential that you have your spiritual eyes open. And, and no one can do that by their own power or their own will. It's only by the Holy Spirit who comes in and opens your eyes to see who Jesus really is. And when the Holy Spirit opened Peter's eyes, and he looked at Jesus. Who did he see? He saw the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, if you, uh, you, you go back to your homes and, uh, tomorrow and, and your places of work and whatever, and, and just stop somebody at, at work or on the street and just ask them the question, Who is Jesus? You'd be surprised at the answers you get. Oh, yeah, he's that, he's that cool dude in the robes, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's something to do with the loaves and the fishes. And you'll start to immediately understand that some people don't really see Jesus the way you see him. And why is that? Well, the simple, short, straight answer is, is because the Holy Spirit has not come into that person and opened their spiritual eyes to see the reality of Jesus. Where does regeneration show up in Scripture? Now let me read Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It's written there that he saved us not because of righteous things we have done. I think we all have a, a grasp on that, that we can't buy our way into heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. He saved us not because of that or anything we could do. No, he saved us because of his mercy that he had upon us. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth. And another way of saying rebirth in other versions and what I'm reading is the word regeneration and another common word or phrase that's used in place of regeneration is born again perhaps you've you've heard that phrase to be born again you were born naturally but you need a new birth and in that new birth you receive your spiritual sight you are saved in that sense. You, you are then enabled to believe and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Son of God. He is Lord. He is my Savior. Now being born again is not optional. It is essential. And it is eternal. But here's maybe the, the last point of all of this, and I, I'm trying to be as brief as I can be here. I really would enjoy having more time, and maybe in another place in time I would. But just understand that God has his place in salvation. He has redeemed you, he has saved you, he has regenerated you, and now you are part of his building. 
If we were to go to one of the letters that the Apostle Peter wrote, rather, we would find there that you know we are being built into a spiritual house that's eternal with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of that building. So God has his part. He's doing the building. You see, you can't build the church. I can't build the church. That's the Lord's part. Our part, I think I alluded to just briefly, is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. I think that's your mission statement, isn't it? To introduce people to Jesus Christ who don't know him, and then those who do know him, to train them, I believe. Something like that. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Hallelujah. So, when you go and you, you share the love of Christ, you share the gospel of Christ, you indeed have done your part. You are doing the Lord's will that way. But it's up to the Lord to build, whether or not he's going to include that person that you're talking to into his building. That, that is entirely up to him. So just relax if, if the person thumbs their nose at you. Or says, oh, I don't want to hear about you. Know, whatever reaction you get, don't, don't worry about that. See, that, that's God's decision whether he's going to, at that time, bring the Holy Spirit into that person. You are the one to bring the message. You are the one to just sow the seed. Be faithful. Be faithful. Amen. So maybe now you understand why I preached on that particular issue, regeneration. And the four C's and their statement of faith says that, that is essential. Now they also have a statement of polity, and, and the hallmark of that is that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that we go to whenever we make decisions. So... I, in this process of making these decisions that lie before you, the three C's, the four C's, what do we do, how many C's, part of that is going to Jesus in prayer and saying, okay, Jesus, you are exalted head. What would you have us to do? And in doing so, the Lord will bring you into unity. He will, he will guide you and, and give you clarity of mind to what it is to do. Not only in that decision, but in every single decision. I'm going to start preaching again. <laughs> in every single decision, in your, in your life, in your family, in your job, in your everything. What do I do? How many times have you asked that question? Should I do this? Should I do that? And it's not like a Yogi Berra thing. You know, Yogi Berra says, when you come to a fork in a road, take it. Don't take Yogi's advice. Go to the Lord. He will tell you which way to go. It will always be the right way. So that's, that's what the four C's believes, is that, is that we go to Jesus in all matters. We give him our praise. We give him our sacrifice of our life. We go to him in prayer. He's our shepherd, isn't he? Guides us. All the way along. So that's that's what the four C's, in a sense, believes. Now they they also uh, have developed position statements. I'm not going to read all the position statements, or we're going to be here till 
too long. But I'm just going to tell you what those position statements are on, what the topics are. And then if you have maybe a question on them, I'm certainly willing to entertain what their position is. But let me tell you the, the, the topics here that, that they've chosen to write positions on. They have a, a statement on biblical marriage. They have a statement on biblical stewardship. They have a statement regarding the ministerial standing of women, on racial reconciliation, on the charismatic movement. They have guidelines here regarding ministers who are divorced. They have a statement here on homosexuals and the Christian fellowship. A statement on abortion. A statement regarding euthanasia and assisted suicide. A position paper on pornography and obscenity. Those are the position papers that, that have been written. And the Four C's has taken a particular position on each one of those issues. Now, just to maybe conclude this, you know, there's some other things that the Four C's has said. They certainly have a vision statement, and that is connecting Christ in our communities. You know, how do we how do we connect ourselves? You know, how do we how do we go to people and where and, and all of that to to spread the good news of Jesus? That's a very important thing. They also have what's called the irreducible core. You probably never have heard that phrase. But the whole idea is this, is, is if we were to take all of the things that we know about Christianity and boil them down and just keep boiling them down to the very core essentials, this is what the four C's believes that you would come out. You would come out with, with this. That it is our command from Jesus to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. Love God, love others, make disciples. That is the four C's passion to see that a reality in every one of the four C churches. They have three priorities. They, they have a, a means of helping churches in various ways. They have one thing called church development. So if a church has a sense that they're in a decline, then we have people who are trained to come and help that church rebound or revitalize. They also have a priority of church multiplication. You know, a healthy church, a healthy a healthy plant multiplies itself. So should a church plant other churches. So if a church is getting that direction from the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to plant another church building somewhere, another gathering of people, then we have people who can come alongside you and help you with that. And then sometimes a church experiences deep conflict. 
And I know a lot of times when conflict happens in the church, it's kind of a closed-door event. You kind of try to take care of it within the ranks, so to speak. Hush-hush. Sometimes that leads to sort of the elephant in the room, you know? Oh, we don't, we can't talk about that. <laughs> and yet that elephant keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the conflict just does not go away. Usually what happens, people go away. Because they don't like the conflict. So if, if the church is really at, at, at their wit's end, what can we do to resolve this kind of conflict? Then the four C's has people that can come alongside you, that are trained to help you work through the issues that are dividing you or upsetting you, and to work towards reconciliation and to work back towards unity in the church. So I think that's a somewhat of a snapshot. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit uh, new at this, so I, in fact, I think this is the second time I've, I've done this. So I'm still kind of the new kid on the block. And, uh, but I think I've covered uh, a, a good overview for you, but certainly I have some uh, other documents up here and I have some other thoughts that maybe you have some questions. I'm more willing to entertain questions at this time. Yes? What are some of the radical ideas that you're making this move that you want to change? What are some of the... Yeah, I don't know if Dave can actually yeah, can answer that. Um, that what we have seen uh, over the past year, year and a half, um, is there has been a movement in the NA uh, towards one a, a non-biblical understanding of what the gospel is. Uh, for instance, at their uh, Michigan conference last year, they had two headline speakers. One was a Buddhist and one was a Sikh. And so what we saw there was this notion that it uh, doesn't matter what religion you are, um, you, you're, you can all come, come to God in different ways. And so that's, a, that's not a biblical understanding of the gospel. A biblical understanding of the gospel would be that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And so that's, that was the biggest concern that I saw. Um, the other concern is uh, a number of churches have uh, taken the step where they, they no longer think of homosexuality as a sin. Uh, where God's word clearly states that it, it is sinful. Um, and so th those, those would probably be the two main issues. Uh, but the biggest one is just the, the lack of clarity and understanding when it comes to the gospel. Does that make sense to you? Are those statements that are actually in the NAC, or is that just your interpretation? Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not statements in the NA, uh, but they, it's definitely what is being proclaimed at their meetings, if that makes sense. Um, the, some of the pastors that I spoke with, uh, you know, they, they don't believe in uh, sharing the gospel anymore in the sense that you declare a message that only Christ is, is the only way to God. Um, 
And so, you know, they've come out and said, you know, a Buddhist can be just as safe as a Christian. Yeah. Is it possible for a representative from NACC to uh, I think so. I, I could reach out. I can reach out to them and see if someone will come. Because we're asking to make a, a decision. Uh, it was rather, you know what you're saying, so we're going to decide it. For all we need to find. So. Okay. This is my public opinion. I think, too, is yeah, both both of them have websites up um, where they give all their positions. Uh, you know, um, so uh, I believe the NA website. I, I'm not exactly sure what their website is. I don't know if you have the. I've got it in my head. <laughs> Lots of things up there. I roll the Rolodex. Uh, it's, of course, you know, uh, www.cccc, four C's, as this lowercase, and immediately following USA, cccusa.com. Or even if you, you know, maybe if you just even Googled either one, probably be able to pop up their, their website too. If you Google the NACCC, it does bring up the, uh, that.org so that you can search in there. So it's NACCC.org? You just put in NACCC and it will bring up the. the okay. In the Google yeah, search. Josephine. So, so what I'm hearing is that if we wanted to check out what they believed in, we could go online on that NACCC and find out ourselves. We I think you could, yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure what all the NA puts on their website. Yeah, and I recommend each and every one of you doing that. Yeah, Todd. Just for ease of everybody, if you go to our church's homepage on the left, at the very bottom where it says where we currently belong to NA, wherever it is, there is a link that you just click on it and take you directly to their webpage. Okay, yeah, so there's that, that way to get to it as well. Just go to our website and then click on the link at the bottom. And. Can you give 
came down and helped the jerks and walked them through the problem. You're yeah. directing that at me and you're talking about the four C's? Yeah. Uh, okay, and so just to be make sure I got it clear, you want me to, to give you an example of where the four C's came and helped a church with regards to uh, either development or multiplication? Yes. Yeah. Um, so a personal example would be where I... Uh, where I went and assisted uh, a church in Wisconsin, and I'm currently assisting a church up in the Upper Peninsula. I guess I'll talk about that a little bit more. One of the uh, one of the things that unfortunately can can happen to a church is is it can go into decline, and and often it's a it's a very slow process and sometimes very imperceptible. Uh, it's sort of like you know, everything is, is okay now, but then all of a sudden you blink and 10 years have gone by and things aren't the way they were 10 years ago. They're kind of downhill. But really nobody's perceiving that and then all of a sudden somebody starts to think about that and they recognize that and they reach out for help. And that's that's where this this church in the Upper Peninsula called First Union is, is uh, recently done. And uh, so what they've done is they've, they've called on me to assist them since they're in Michigan. And uh, what I have done for them at the outset is, and, and this is really the, 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 really the, the starting point uh, towards trying to figure out you know what's gone wrong or really where we're at and that's doing an assessment it's sort of like you know you go to the doctor you know and the doctor checks you over and he says well you know your blood pressure is a little high and you know this and that and and you go really my blood pressure's high I didn't know that oh yeah you know we got to get that down so doing a spiritual assessment if you will of a church is very necessary and the Four C's uses a tool called the Natural Church Development Survey, which is taking a portion of the congregation and they fill out questionnaires regarding eight different quality characteristics that are in every church in various levels, in various quantities. One would be, for example, loving relationships. Another would be effective structures. So by taking this, this survey, uh, as a composite, then, there's a, a result that's given to the church. And in a sense, they're shown their strengths and their weaknesses. And so I'm going through that process with, with First Union Church, as an example. And, and, that's gonna, and that's, again, just a starting point. So I'm going to be going up there and visiting with them. I'm going to be talking with their leadership. I'm going to be talking with the congregation. And then we're going to start to map out what are some of the initial first steps that can be taken to gain, regain some of that health that was lost. And um, so that, that's, that's one example. I've, I've done a few other churches. I've walked them through that same kind of process. I've been specifically in the church development arena for a lot of, time, uh, a lot of years now. Just another quick example on uh, per church uh, multiplication. There was, there was a church 
that was just outside of a downtown area, and they and and every time their their congregants visited that downtown, they they started walking by people that you know they were destitute, if you can imagine, homeless. Some didn't know Jesus. You know they were in a dark place, uh, drug addicts, and Jesus broke their heart for these people, and they said, well, you know, we, we want to start a, another, in a sense, church or ministry to these people downtown, but we we don't know how to do that. So somebody called the 4C office and said, can you help us? And so a man who was, uh, you know, experienced in doing that went and met with that church and said, well, let's see if we can look and, and, and the Lord just started opening doors and and they had their ministry to these people down there. So that's just a couple quick examples. Yes. Anyone else? Yeah, Anne. Um, I guess it really depends on how much we would reach out to them. Uh, I know that when a few years ago, when you guys were searching for a pastor, uh, they they helped you guys out with that. Um, I I do believe they have other programs, probably similar to the four C's. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I haven't fully researched everything that they do. Um, so I, I think it'd be better if we had a representative from them to answer that question. Uh, but I'd imagine that, that there are some things that they do as well. Okay. Just follow up. I think it's going to come down to prayer because anybody can write down anything. Mm -hmm. They can say anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we definitely, this is something that we need to take to God in prayer. And just so you know, um, uh, I know that, you know, many of you may be wondering, you know, well, that's your perspective. Uh, one thing I did this last fall is I invited some members of the diaconate to come with me to these meetings to see if they were getting the same assessment that I was getting. And so um, there were members of the diaconate that came to these meetings, came back, and uh, saw the same things that I, I was seeing as well. Um, so it's not just coming from me. Yeah, I'll see. Um, if you want to talk to some of those diaconate members, Dennis was one that attended one of the conferences with him, and so was Ted Nihon. So they went to the NACC. Joni and I went to the 4C. And I have to tell you, we were very impressed with the camaraderie and the spiritual uplifting of these men. And it was all men except for Joni and I. But I don't know if that's necessarily the whole case. There might be some female ministers too, I, I don't know. And they just were very loving toward each other and helpful toward each other and willing to go the extra mile if anybody needed something. And that was very impressive to us. We, we felt like we were friends with them and then we walked into the Anyone else? All right, well, we'll, we'll close it there for right now. Uh, if we don't, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> <laughs>